Look! Up in the sky! Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Superman. Today, we discuss the greatest superhero of all time. Instantly identifiable, recognizable all across the globe. Superman has impacted so much of pop culture and comic books in general. He was the first great comic book American superhero icon. Today we discuss the influences, the inspiration that his creators drew upon. Which characters, which authors informed the shape of their seminal superhero and all of the characters, all of the Superman tropes that followed. So many Superman characters followed in the wake of Superman. We dive in and discuss as many of them as we can possibly fit into an all-new episode of Observations. Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to another edition of Observations, the comic book and pop culture show. Are they kind of the same thing now? It, it seems like they are. Uh, uh, this show chronicles the journey that I have taken since I was six, seven years old, 1974, 1975, grabbing comic books off rusty old uh, uh, spinner racks at the liquor store, the 7-Eleven, the five and dime. Yes, they called them the five and dime, the drugstore, and, uh, just consuming my life, superheroes, sword and sorcery, all of the different comic book adventures and watching them grow to where they are now to giant multi-million dollar productions that we see on the regular and, and, and the, the crossover that has occurred in my lifetime in my lifetime is just something amazing to behold and there is so much history in between and and that is why I started this podcast in the pandemic uh, out of out of sheer kind of loneliness I started talking into this mic and I started sharing this uh, podcast and we it will always be a free podcast I, I speak into this and offer it up to you and hope that you find it on whichever platform that you may find it on but I want to share with you the knowledge that I have gleaned over all my years consuming comic books, which again, from 1974 to right now in 2022 carries a great deal of history. And the from the interviews that I have read, uh, the people I have known, uh, the, the absolute, you know, great titans of comic books that I have sat alongside, I am so just humbled by all the experiences I've had as a writer and creator and artist and publisher and producer of comic books. There is no facet of the comic book industry that I have not been involved with. And from when we started to publish our own work as Image Comics with myself and my uh, six founders, we learned all the aspects of the business that were left for us to know and to master. I mean, at, at one point I was making and manufacturing my own toys and learned the toy business. At one point I, I had started up an animation studio until I didn't. Uh, I, I made a giant spaceship that, yes, 12 people could get in, not, not fly away, but it was a giant spaceship display for my characters, and I carried it around to three different comic conventions until I decided, well, this isn't worth the uh, traveling of the ship, and I've covered this, I think, in an earlier podcast, the actual expense of carrying my awesome spaceship. Now, I had guys from Lucasfilm, people who 
did special effects for Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, who constructed this for me. So this was not some cheapy, you know, cardboard uh, 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 spaceship. But again, I digress. I, there is so much uh, of the business that I have been had my fingers in, and I try and bring some of that expertise, some of that experience some of those relationships, some of that history, some of what I have learned along the way, and I try and share it with you and expand maybe what you know or didn't know. Because as I've, as I've realized over the course of just, just these, this podcast, the people who kind of came in and were fans of the era that I was a part of, the, myself, my peer group, uh, if you were 15 years old at that point, right? So, so if it, if it was, you know, 1992, what were you, you born in, you know, 19, uh, I mean, if you were, if you were born in 1980, then you were 12 in 1992, picking up our comics. And, and there was so much of the history that, that you had missed out because your awareness probably didn't kick into five or six like me. So then you go back. So I've already got a 12 year, maybe a 15 year jump on you. And the industry already got nearly a, you know, 12-year jump on me when I got into it, at least Marvel Comics did, not comic books in general, but I've never been a great, big, golden age comics guy, but definitely the Silver Age had ended, the Silver Age of comics, and this Bronze Age that I cherish so much had, um, had, had, had taken off. And the Bronze Age is the age of comics that gave us, just off the top of my head, Luke Cage, Power Man. It gave us Iron Fist. It gave us Shang-Chi. It, ge- it gave us... Uh, you know, kind of right on the middle, right, 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 dancing on the edge there, Black Widow. It gave us, uh, you know, Carol Danvers slash Captain Marvel slash Ms. Marvel until they changed it, but that she was the original. Uh, you know, it gave us Wolverine. It gave us Colossus, Storm, all of the brand new X-Men. It gave us the DC Titans that you see on your HBO Max show, whether it's Raven or Starfire, the identity of Nightwing, uh, the character of Deathstroke, uh, his son and daughter, both of whom taken on the mantle of Ravager. The, the Bronze Age was rich. It was absolutely, it gave us Adam Warlock, okay? Dancing again, right on that Silver Age, uh, uh, Bronze Age line, but I think, I think you can go back and kind of pin him right at the dawn of the Bronze Age. But the Bronze Age was extremely, you know, uh, uh, it was extremely affluent in characters and influence. And it affected guys like myself, Thanos, Thanos, Josh Gambrolin, that portrayal of Thanos is a Bronze Age creation. So, so that's my youth. And then I became a comic creator along with my peer group. And we gave you characters like Cable, Deadpool, Venom. Uh, I guess you could go to the DC side of it and, and, and Doomsday and Bane and eventually Harley Quinn. So, I mean, the 90s was, was really, res, you know, really booming. And then... We get to the 2000s, and I've talked about how it became really cool to make, uh, you know, echoes or derivatives. That, that's what the legal name for them is, a derivative. And the derivatives are the Miles Morales, another Spider-Man, uh, the Ultimates, another version, another universe of the Avengers, uh, echoes of the X-Men, echoes of, I mean, X-23, a female Wolverine. I mean, a lot of these derivatives started popping up over time in the 2000s because the companies wanted to limit the amount of creation that they were uh, kind of lording over and, and, and limit the amount of participation with creators and kind of really get there uh, until they had a grasp of how they wanted to handle it for the first decade from 2000 to 2010. It was really 
so focused. I mean, again, what, what is Kate Bishop but a female version, a female application, a protege, you you know, per se, of Hawkeye? Um, you know, that, that that is what you were getting more and more and more and more of, as, as especially from the Marvel wing. They definitely were trafficking in the most derivatives of, of that they had ever done, the Young Avengers. I mean, again, it just, just you know, the, 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 the offspring of Avengers. It, it was very much like, take this template and expand on it. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to discuss, because is, it, is, it has occurred to me that we have never, ever truly, fully discussed the brilliance of what is, I believe, to be the greatest comic book superhero of all time. Certainly not the most recognizable anymore. At one point, I think you could make that, you could absolutely make the argument that Superman was the most recognizable superhero in the entire world. Maybe he could still edge out Spider-Man and Batman, but I don't think he can. I think Spider-Man is probably the most popular now, and Batman has been uh, supplanted from, I think, because he was number one, I think, for, for a good long, at least 10-year haul, especially during those Chris Nolan movies and the billions of dollars that they were yielding. But Spider-Man has firmly kind of bounced back in the biggest possible way with the, uh, the Marvel-produced... Uh, themed films, whether it was Homecoming, Far From Home, or No Way Home. Is that the one? I, the, the last one with all the Spider-Man in it. And of course, um, Into the Spider-Verse. That was a huge cultural touchstone as well. And and just rocked audiences all across the globe. So Superman, though, is a seminal creation. He is really seen uh, as as one of the most influential characters and comic books of all time, and there's no real way to remove his application, his influence. But as with everything, everything has a source. Everything has an influence. Of course, we have discussed before how Star Wars came to be because George Lucas could not get the licensing for Flash Gordon. He wanted to make a Flash Gordon film. That's what he wanted to make. It's a, it was on his bucket list, just the same way so many creators, every creator has something on a bucket list. A writer, Stephen King has something on his bucket list. Um, it was it was uh, the the brilliant director Guillermo del Toro, uh, who has brought brought us the, the Hellboy films and, uh, and 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 all different manner of great sci-fi kind of you know uh, uh, fantasy horror films. Guillermo del Toro was tweeting about what a huge fan he was of Stephen King's The Stand and Lawnmower Man and. Uh, the, the, the talismans, uh, uh, just all of these different uh, Stephen King works. He was really tweeting, and, he, and, he, and then he wanted to let the audience know, I don't have the license to these. That's not why I'm tweeting. I'm just a fan. And then he's like trafficking in almost fan fiction and, 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 and doing little sculpts and uh, showing like he's indulging his fandom. And that is clearly... Uh, in in the bucket the bucket list realm of his of his fan longing I have fan longing that fan longing became me doing a GI Joe miniseries featuring Snake Eyes I jumped at the chance I felt this was the perfect chance in my life to indulge and and to do my you know my bucket list and 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 for me it was it was Snake Eyes and 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 I drew on all of the different influences it, my Snake Eyes series had a serious Frank Miller influence that's where I first fell in love with the modern day depiction of ninjas. And so if I'm going to, Frank was doing his ninjas prior to Snake Eyes debuting 
and the new G.I. Joe debuting in like 1982-1983. Frank already got to that in 80-81-82. He, he really laid the foundation for that. So what I'm doing, Snake Eyes, I'm pulling some of that influence, some of that stuff that I enjoyed. I'm, I'm, I'm transferring that into my bucket list, kind of shaping what I want, uh, what influences I want to bring to the thing that I want to do. Well, again, whether it was George Lucas not being able to get Flash Gordon and then making Star Wars, you know, we, we, we sometimes do funny things with the stuff that influence us. And in the uh, instance of Superman, the creators of Superman are very obvious, are very uh, open about uh, about their, their 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 influences. They they have they were you know we were fortunate. We were all fortunate that they had gone on the record many times talking about the influences that brought Superman to light. And when I was a kid, Superman was, uh, he was everywhere. And not just in the Superman persona, he was also Superboy. Superboy had his own comic. Superboy had a team book called Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, which was the way that they chose to best sell you the Legion of Superheroes, this futuristic team from the 31st century that traveled back to meet Superboy in their very first appearance and then takes took him to the 31st century. Fans went crazy. They built out the Legion of Superheroes. The Legion of Superheroes went on to, as I've covered in a dedicated Legion of Superheroes podcast way back in the library, if you can find it, uh, they, they at one point got became so popular in the 80s, they had four, no less than four Legion series because the demand was there. The treatment of the Legion was basically the way that uh, Marvel was treating the X-Men. I mean, they had really, they were putting top flight creative teams the, 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 the team was so expansive, had so many members. I mean, come on, you got a team called the Legion. You're going to have a lot of members. So they could exploit them and spin them off, and it didn't seem like they were overdoing it. But the sales were there. They're only doing this because you and I, as the readers, were showing up and supporting it in this way. So you had Superboy, Superboy, and the Legion. You had Superman. You had Action Comics. They started DC Comics Presents, which every issue had Superman teaming with another character in the DC Universe. Superman was also front and center on the Justice League and then the Super Friends. The Super Friends was a comic book based on the Saturday morning cartoon that debuted in like 1974-1975 and went on to run many, many, many seasons. He had already He also had his solo cartoons, and then there was the George Reeves, the black and white Superman, uh, uh, you know, television shows and if you're saying to yourself was there an actor that portrayed superman with the last name reeves before christopher reeves there was they have no relation but the exact same spelling of the name can you even possibly like begin to believe that it's it's uncanny so jerry siegel and joe schuster famously launched superman and uh he arrived in action comics in 1938 Okay, that is a big, a big damn deal, a big damn deal. And we've all seen the great uh, cover with Superman hurling the or or lifting and crashing the the, the, the car with the criminals in it looks like the gangsters um, smashing them into the the wall as as the onlookers are all just so shocked that there's a man that can lift a, 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 a car and smash it into the wall. Well, Action Comics number one brought us the very first adventures of Superman in 1938, and it really kicked off this new, brand new age of 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 superhuman superhuman characters. My very first Superman comic—I don't think I've ever covered this on uh, on the show—but like 
this 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 is a really interesting era for for Superman when I first got into reading Superman and trust me we are going to most definitely uh you know go 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 down the deep dive in regards to uh to to all things Superman today so I'm just I'm just starting this off sharing with you some of my earliest interactions and my earliest interaction with Superman is again a cover of uh it, it it's it's the the cover of Superman number 249 which came out in 1972 you said Rob you you saw these you said you didn't start 1974 1975 that's correct but in my history as I have been very bold in sharing with you guys I was going to a barber and the first time that I did my trade for the 1974 uh, Fantastic Four issue 147 with Prince Namor flying, you know, woof, right out of the ocean to battle the thing in Human Torch, and it just took my breath away. And I was so fortunate that my barber Fred uh, uh, allowed for me to trade him my Casper and Richie Rich and Archie comics to have that beautiful Marvel comic. Well, in his stack he had other DC comics, and that's where I first read of Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, and that's where I first met Superman. And the I remember it was a very crumpled, very very beaten, very worn uh, edition, but I just could not even believe uh, that this amazing cover because Superman was being was was being attacked by a cowboy on a flying horse, and his name is Terra Man, and it was beat. It was it was you know. It was a worn, used, crumpled copy, bright yellow uh, background, and I would flip through it, and I thought, oh, this is cool. This is Superman. I know Superman from cartoons and from the black and white Superman George George Reeves series that was showing in the afternoon in 1972, 73, 74 when I was a kid. But uh, so by the time I encounter Superman in probably 1974, you know, this, this issue is part of the two, you know, piles of probably 30 comics each at my barber that he had there for kids like me, for kids who went in with their dads to watch their dad get their haircut, or kids who were waiting to then get their haircut like I did. I'd go in with my dad, he'd get his haircut, I'd read comics, then it was my turn to get my haircut, and I'd read the comic book while I was getting my haircut. Ironically, this last April was the first time in years that I went back to that exact barbershop, and it is still a barbershop. It is no longer Fred's barbershop, but it is a barbershop. I was snapping pictures, standing in the doorway, and they're all looking at me like, who is this crazy person? But it was so exciting to be back on that same soil where the excitement first happened, where I got that Fantastic Four 147, and where, again, I had encountered so many of his uh, DC comics. And I just, it was, the magic was unlocked with that Fantastic Four issue. But again, I like Superman. He intrigued me. And watching him battle a cowboy with two six shooters flying on a uh, a, 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 a white horse, who I mean, Terra Man, and that's his name, T E R R A, M A N, Terra Man, is uh, is is uh, you know flying on a winged horse and posing this great threat to Superman. I don't really remember and retain much. I just remember there was an action shot in the skies. They were you know battling each other. And it really caught my my attention. As you know, I also 
view 1978 Superman vs. Muhammad Ali to be the single greatest comic book ever produced, drawn by the legend, the great one of the greatest, if not the greatest illustrator in comics of all time, Neil Adams, put together a brilliant story upon which Muhammad Ali, who was all the rage, was all over sports and the news and was a huge pop culture figure and gave the green light for his likeness to be used in this story that, that obviously he had to approve of where he and Superman would ward off an alien adventure, uh, an, an alien invasion in this big sweeping adventure, and they would team up to battle this giant alien champion that the aliens have sent to kind of uh, beat our champion, at which point we are then to surrender because there's so much worse than that champion behind them. Really great story, really great twist, amazing illustration. But Superman was really a product of this of the 70s in a big way. DC leaned all the way in to Superman, there was uh, <laughs> there was another uh, comic book that I encountered Superman in uh, that had uh, that that <laughs> that like I, I knew that this character was based on a pop like a Sean Connery movie. I did not see the movie at that time. I didn't see the movie until I was a teenager. But uh, there was a character named Vartox, and he is literally like literally uh, looks exactly like Sean Connery's character in the movie Zardoz. I mean, he bears these, he's got the same hair, mutton chops, mustache, and he's got the same kind of bare chest and, and bikini on and hip boots. And uh, he first appears in 1974 Superman, which was also in that pile, also strikingly, a, they, they love their bright, canary yellow covers on Superman. I mean, they really popped against his blue and red costume, but that that's the other adventure that I would flip through all the time with Superman battling Vartox instead of Zardoz. And I, I, I you know, the, the character was very obviously, um, he, Vartox was from another planet called Valeran, and he, again, an, another alien kind of conqueror and, uh, and, and nemesis of, of Superman. But you know, I, I, I was encountering these wild adventures. Superman had these wild cosmic foes like Terraman on his flying horse, dressed like a cowboy with two six-shooters, or, or Vartox, who looked like Sean Connery. Dead. I mean, if you Google him right now, if you, if you, if you Google Zardoz and Superman, you're going to get Sean Connery's um, uh, uh, picture up first, and then you're going to get Vartox right next to it, because, and then you'll read all how they were, they were the same. So this is all in the sweet spot. This is all when I was a kid. And I didn't know anything about the origins of Superman. I just knew that, you know, like the cartoons told me, he would leap buildings in a, you know, he was able to leap buildings in a single bound. That was what the beginning of the Superman cartoon that I watched as a kid, you know. Um, and and this is where we get into some of those influences. Because when Superman arrived, he has these great power and strength and speed and he's I mean he literally is a superman he's not like a batman he doesn't have to put on a he doesn't he's not a human that dresses up like a bat and uses gadgets he's not like you know the the captain america who was enhanced via a a, a super soldier experiment serum that that made him extra human not superhuman and had his shield and battled nazis no this is uh superman i mean 1938 he he was impenetrable uh, bullets bounced off his chest. I mean, bullets bounced off his chest. Imagine picking, you're like, wow, bullets can't penetrate this guy. His skin is so durable. Well, part of, as you know, the, the origin kind of firmly becomes that because he is from a different planet and the 
whether it's our gravity or the rays of the sun, because they kind of went between both of them until they settled on which one would be the, 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 the definitive version. He was in our atmosphere. He was Superman. And that's what, you know, allowed him to have his special abilities. And obviously he took with fans because how would he not have, again, in probably 1976, by that time he has Superboy, standalone series, Superboy and the Legion, Superman, Action Comics, Superman Family, a double-sized, like a buck. It was a buck that got you like Superman Adventure, a Superboy Adventure, and of course Supergirl. Let's not forget Supergirl, his cousin. Uh, you had him in the Justice League, you had him in the Super Friends, and you also had him in his own stand, you know, his own version of Marvel team up called DC Comics Presents, which would team him with, you know, Superman and the Metal Men, Superman and Doctor um, Doctor Fate, Superman, Doc Strange, Superman, the Doom Patrol. Always kind of somebody offbeat that Superman could elevate. Superman and Captain Adam. Uh, you know, Superman and the Flash is a very commercial, very, very, very commercial pairing. Oh, World's Finest. Forgot World's Finest. Dedicated title. Uh, called World's Finest that was a book where Superman and Batman would solve an adventure or battle a bad guy mutually every issue. This is before DC went Batman crazy. But the thing with Superman is, what inspired Superman? Well, let's let's read a little of what was written in 1983. So this is not the Dark Ages, even though that sounds like a long ways away for you guys. This is my youth. Jerry Siegel, in his own words, wrote uh, an article called In the Beginning. And dated in 1983, this is Jerry Siegel in his own words. As a science fiction fan, I have long been very familiar with the various themes in the field. The Superman theme has been one of them ever since Samson and Hercules. So he's mentioning the biblical and mythological strongmen. Samson, the biblical, Hercules, the mythological, the Greek god of strength. These guys had super duper strength. I just sat down and wrote a story of that type only in this story, the Superman was a villain. And he says, the reign of the Superman in 1933. So this is, he's now telling you in this essay that he's writing in 1983, his original villain for Superman as being a villain. His original concept for Superman was as a villain. He says, a couple of months after I published this story, it occurred to me that Superman as a hero would be, Superman as a hero rather than a villain might make a great comic strip. In the vein of Tarzan, only more super unsensational than that great character. Joe and I, Joe um, Schuster. So this is Jerry Siegel, one half of the Superman creative team. It's great that they're both JS and JS. Jerry Siegel, Joe Schuster. It's always been kind of a cool little thing that rolls off the tongue. So it says, Joe Schuster and I, Jerry Siegel, drew this up as a comic book. Clark Kent grew not only out of my private life, but also out of Joe Schuster's. As a high school student, I thought that someday I might become a reporter. And I had crushes on several attractive girls who I didn't, who, who either, who I either didn't know or they didn't know I existed or didn't care. So it occurred to me, what if I was really terrific? What if I had something special going for me, like jumping over buildings or throwing cars around or something like that? One night when all the thoughts were coming to me, the concept came to me that Superman could have a dual identity. And one of those identities, he could be a meek, as meek and mild as I was. Again, Jerry Siegel writing this. And he'd wear glasses the way I do. Uh, and he says, uh, the heroine, who I figured would be some kind of girl reporter, would think that he was just some kind of 
that he that he was some kind of warm yet she would be crazy i'm sorry worm <laughs> the heroine who i figured would be some kind of uh, girl reporter would think he was some kind of worm yet she would be crazy about superman who could do all sorts of fabulous things. In fact, she was really wild about him. And a big inside joke was that the fellow that she was crazy about was also the fellow she loathed. This is loaded. This paragraph is loaded and it is going to become the basis of so much that we discuss for the remaining uh, really part of this, this, this episode as we get into Superman, the characters that he's influenced, and the way that the character under other writers and other visionaries kind of expanded and different versions of him that expanded kind of the same notion. I mean, there it is. In fact, she was wild about him, and a big inside joke was that the fellow she was crazy about was also the fellow whom she loathed. As he said, a worm. So J- J- Jerry Siegel is thinking of himself as a worm, this meekish guy with, with, with glasses that girls didn't pay attention to. That would be this mighty heroic guy's alter ego. He says Edgar Rice Burroughs, John Carter, Edgar Rice Burroughs, if that, if that name sounds familiar to, me, to you, he created Tarzan as well, Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. Well, he also created John Carter, published both of them as pulp novels at the same time. Pulp novels, that, that entire reference is how disposable science fiction genre stuff that was just disposable, you'd read it, you'd toss it, pulp, okay? Pulp novels. Edgar Rice Burroughs' John Carter was able to leap great distances while on Mars because the planet was smaller than Earth, and so he had greater strength and speed. I visualized the planet Krypton as a huge planet, much larger than Earth, that whoever came to Earth from that planet would be able to leap great distances and lift great weights. So he's laying out to you very, very plainly that he is basing, and that is really the inverse of John Carter. John Carter, and it was one of the wonderful things they did in the in the uh, 2012 Disney John Carter movie, even though that movie did not meet with box office success. Uh, I thought the way that they depicted him once he got powers on Mars, I mean, such super strength to take on those two giant apes and the leaping ability, and that is exactly kind of the vision that he brought to Superman because Superman on Earth, at first, he did not fly. He leapt, again, leaping tall buildings in a single bound. It was the John Carter part where John Carter could like leap entire valleys on Barsoom or among the Barsoom, you know, on Mars. Superman could do the same on Earth. He inversed it. What jo- The powers that John Carter got by traveling to Mars, Schuster and Siegel, gave to Superman who traveled from Krypton to Earth. Extra strength, eventually the ability to take those giant leaps and turn them into flight. Well, another uh, uh, another very interesting uh, another interesting aspect in, in regards to what Schuster and Siegel uh, were utilizing in regards to the Edgar Rice Burroughs effect is explored in another essay upon which they uh, examine, and, and really the, the bottom line is that John Carter and uh, Superman have all these glaring possibilities. And Carter's adventures on Barsoom not only you know influenced what would come, what would follow with Flash Gordon and eventually Luke Skywalker, but he also, John Carter is also incredibly incredibly informative in, in regards to the Man of Steel, as 
Jerry Siegel just wrote in his own essay in 1983. He comes full full circle, says, hey, Edgar Rice Burroughs, John Carter influenced how I would apply the powers of my character on Earth. And in the same way, this it was the inverse of John Carter. He says, uh, he says, you know, as Carter took his first steps on the surface of Mars and his muscles sent him shooting through the air, he was able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. In fact, it was this ability to leap farther and higher and further than the people of Mars that won him the attention, uh, the admiration of those who would capture him. So just as John Carter's leg muscles were powerful enough to run mere steps into great leaps, Carter's human physique also afforded him the Martian equivalent of super strength and agility. Here's this man who looks more or less like the humans on Barsoom, of Barsoom, but but with notable differences in that uh, he has these superpowers. He says, you know, does this sound familiar? doesn't take a lot to figure out that Superman is almost the exact inverse of John Carter, sent from his world a dying one to Earth as a baby, where our world's lighter gravity allowed him to leap tall buildings, smash through tanks, and eventually he became the greatest superhero of all time. Rather than wearing a loincloth and sandals, Superman wore his tights and his cape. It's basically the, prem- the same premise, but flipped, so that, we, so that we are, us humans, the bewildered narratives, the bewildered natives in this equation. Uh, so again, you know, I'm not sure that Siegel and Schuster even scratched the surface of Superman without Edgar Rice Burroughs laying it down and influencing them. And it all matches up. They're, they're reading these books in their youth. Both obviously extremely handsome, except in the, uh, you know, in the Superman world, he's rocketed here, and then he's dis- he's discovered by a pair of kindly farmers who raised him, and uh, they 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 uh, they raise him to be a very fair and moral person, and and John Carter was rocketed to a very tumultuous, you know, world that was, you know, full of savage warring factions, and he, uh, you know, became part of that that interaction. So uh, Superman didn't arrive on Earth as a soldier or a savior. He became basically, and he's been referred to many times, as a, as a super Boy Scout. He wanted to help you. He wanted to help you out. He wanted to, to, uh, to, to, to get your cat out of the tree, to help citizens, to help the, 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 the downtrodden. He was very much a do-gooder and uh, wasn't trying to tilt anything politically, wasn't trying to rule among us, even though he had this amazing power and amazing strength. And clearly, he became a symbol for not only just the publisher, but for the culture. And trust me, all of the people who tried to make Superman the movie and finally got it off the ground, and then when Superman the movie in 1978 hit and ran through Christmas all the way into 1979, you know, it became a giant uh, cultural touchstone. And one of the um, really interesting aspects of that, uh, of that, I'd like to share with you in regards to how, uh, just, and, 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 and consider, as I share this with you, uh, consider what I said at the top of the show, how we have welcomed and uh, integrated comic book superheroes into the culture Comic book superheroes, both Marvel and DC and otherwise, if you include the boys or you include Robert Kirkman's The Invincible, 
They're on our toy shelves at Target. They're in the grocery aisle. My wife said, uh, check this out. She dropped a bunch of bananas in, onto the fruit, you know, platter in the kitchen as she was unloading the bags and they have Marvel stickers on them. She's like, Marvel is now just kind of randomly, you know, advertising their logo and brand on fruit, on the food. But if you go through the aisles, superheroes are on potato chips and they're on cookies and they're on candy and they're on soda drinks and they're on milk drinks, dairy products, ice cream. Superheroes are in your grocery store. They're in your drugstore. They're uh, obviously at Target, Walmart, all the big box stores. They've gone so beyond the toy aisles. They're at the gas station. They're, you know, uh, super gas prices and a super character. I mean, it's not always a specific super character, but superheroes are so part of the uh, equation. Now, we went to a street fair over this Labor Day holiday, and, you know, my wife always goes, there's a Deadpool shirt, there's a Spider-Man shirt, there's a Batman shirt, there's a Marvel shirt. You know, the, the tribe that you are associating with uh, is represented by the gear on your head, the hat, the shirt, uh, the tattoos. Holy shnikes. I mean, have you seen the Iron Man tattoos, the Doctor Strange tattoos? Again, the aforementioned Deadpool tattoos, the Spider-Man. I mean, Batman, Superman, Superman shields. That This is now, superheroes have become so part of the culture. But what is really interesting is, uh, is, is what I'm going to read to you right now, which uh, was... Erie Magazine, you need to know about Erie Magazine, E-E-R-I-E, Erie, was a magazine that uh, covered mostly the horror genre, and it was uh, extremely, you know, it was it was one of those magazines that you would see regularly, with great regularity on the newsstand, and it was... Right up there with uh, the magazines like Starlog and Fangoria, some of the stuff that I've uh, that I've shared with you guys before, and uh, Erie Magazine was really not something that regularly, routinely, was where you would catch any discussion of superheroes. But they uh, were caught up in the 1978 release of of Superman, in so much as. They uh, they printed an entire they they gave an entire uh, basically editorial to 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 the the commentary of what was going on with Superman post his 1978 film release and 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 to cover this really quick in this eerie magazine the the editorial is written questioning. Why, now that Superman is a movie playing well into 1979, that there are reporters from all manner, all manner of different uh, newspapers and news outlets writing to ask, do you know someone who knows something about the Superman comic books so we can quote in regards to the success of this movie? And the writer goes on to like pontificate that like, can you believe this? People are interested in someone who knows Superman from the comic books now that this movie is doing well. Then he goes on to criticize that he doesn't think the Superman movie is very well done. And he wonders if Superman, as played by Christopher Reeves, will suffer the same career backlash that followed George Reeves, who had a difficult career following portraying Superman having being kind of uh, uh, typecast. And and But what he really, really goes on, to the, the point that he wants to make is, 
Why do these people care what anyone, this is 1979, think of Superman in the comic books? Because it's not like this movie is going to drive people to the comic books. You know, this isn't that kind of movie. That's not how it works. Superman, the movie's success at the box office that started in Christmas of 1978 and carried through to 1979 is not going to help sell more comic books. So I don't know why they're concerned, he said, and then he goes on to, to, to share that he doesn't believe really it reflects. And I remember as a kid going, that's not the Lex Luthor that I'm currently enjoying in the comic books with the Lex Luthor in the comic books had the jetpacks, had the uh, purple shirt, the green pants, had ray guns and and and, and it was it was more of a quote unquote supervillain. But I enjoyed the Gene Hackman, the comedy version of which he then goes on and 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 wonders if Superman actually isn't a comedy of some sort. But but he really takes to task. Why would anyone care about Superman, the comic book character? Because it's not like there's going to be crossover. Think about what we talked about at the beginning here. How much crossover there is now. How my friends can tell you that they're selling more copies of Invincible because of the cartoon. They're selling more copies of the boys because of the Amazon show. We're fully integrated now. Whatever doubt that this guy had about Superman's comic book resonance when the movie came out in this 1979 editorial in Erie Magazine, and in the bottom it says, Warren Publications does not, uh, that these opinions are not the opinions of Warren Publications. Uh, it, it's like they want you to know like this kind of nasty viewpoint of Superman and and literally comic books. And the guy's basically saying, like, like, why do you care what I think of the comic books? These people, you know, calling to ask, because he, he could be somebody that could tell them, because you're not going to drive people to the comic books. Well, now we see that people do get driven to comic books and that the from 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 media, whether it's uh, on your on your HBO Max, your Disney Plus, your your Netflix, your Amazon Prime, your AMC. I mean, they are. The crossover is there in a bigger way than it ever has been before. Ask Borders. Ask Barnes & Nobles. Ask, I mean, I shouldn't have said Borders. Borders went out of business. But ask your bookseller. Ask Amazon. I guess ask Amazon, whose orders, I think, skyrocket when new kind of pop culture comic book sensations, you know, uh, build up and sweep over the media. Ask them if they're shipping more. The bottom line is that Superman's resonance from the beginning was extremely popular, and, and, the, and the movie in 1978 was just the beginning. DC did attempt to, between 1978 and 1981, with the, with the sequel, he did attempt, they did attempt, DC's entire publishing line wanted you to know that Superman was a hit movie. It was on the banner of their books. They ran contests. They ran promotions. They wanted you desperately if you walked into, again, comic books were still the, the domain during this period, of 1978, 1981, most comics were encountered and interacted and consumed from newsstands, from grocery stores, from liquor stores. So the common man or woman, mother, father, son walking into any of these establishments could glance over and see, oh, Superman, there's, oh, uh, just like the movie you loved as seen on the big screen. Oh, hey, this has a connection to that huge, giant movie that I came out and I loved recently. They really did try and grab you. And Superman was such an archetype that if you've listened to this podcast from the beginning or have listened to the very first episode, you heard me talk about Avengers 141. That's the entire beginning of my podcast career is 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 going over this Avengers issue that absolutely blew my mind because as I looked at the cover of the issue, it's the Avengers, my Marvel heroes that I love so much, and they're facing off against Marvel's version of the Justice League. There they are. 
it's on my spinner rack right now. It's Marvel's version of Green Lantern, Marvel's version of Superman, Marvel's version of The Flash, Marvel's version of Green Arrow, Marvel's version of Black Canary. Upon reading the book, I'm like, who are the Squadron Supreme? And the biggest kind of echo, I've called them echoes. You can call them analog, you can, whatever you want. Um, the biggest echo that I encountered at that point in my life was Hyperion was an obvious Superman, you know, echo, echo uh, 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 you know, image. He was Marvel's Superman. He had red hair. He had a red and yellow costume. He had a cape. He had super strength. He could fly. He definitely uh, echoed all of Superman's abilities and his stature on the team that stood around him, which was a Nighthawk, who was a Batman echo, uh, Dr. Spectrum, who was a Green Lantern Spectrum, who had a jewel that could manifest as a big fist or as a big hammer or as a big gun. Everything the Green Lantern ring could do, this, this, this jewel could do that Dr. Spectrum wielded. The Wizard was the Flash. The Golden Archer was Green Arrow. I mean, and Captain Hawk was Hawkman. I mean, it was the entire saga, and it riveted me. It was so exciting, but part of it was that I knew that Marvel was basically saying, squint your eyes or just kind of make a small leap here, and this super team that is terrorizing the Avengers for an entire year is the Justice League. It wasn't their first appearance. Their first appearance was across other different Marvel uh, 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 comics. They had appeared in The Defenders. But this was a big, sweeping, year-long storyline. And Hyperion was the Superman, you know, Echo. Well, I've also covered on this podcast numerous times how they were doing a Legion of Superheroes Echo in the X-Men, not, but a few years later, in the Imperial Guard. I mean, person to person, there's Wildfire, there's Timberwolf, there's Lightning Lad, Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl. It was boom, boom, boom. By the guy who had designed the modern Legion. Dave Cockrum does both. I've, I've covered this. But that's two. That's two. That's Justice League and the Legion. D- two of DC's biggest super teams were being echoed by Marvel. Well, it wasn't too long after that as I, you know, plow through my comic book history that I would find more Superman kind of imitators, echoes. Everybody seemed to have one. And in the modern age that we're in, the one that you probably encountered the most recently is the one that you probably think is the uh, original of what I call the Echoes. You can call it homage, you can call it swipe, you can call it whatever you want. Because when I made my Superman Echo Supreme in 1992 and I launched him to sales of a million copies, it was blatant. I'm like, this is evil Superman. I wanted to do a Superman that oppressed others, that was an asshole, that was mean, that didn't want to get your cat out of the street, that didn't want to help the old lady um, didn't want to get your cat out of the tree, not out of the street. He didn't want to help you get your cat out of the tree. He didn't want to help the old lady cross the street. He was not a Samaritan at heart. He was a villain. He was, he believed himself to be above mankind and wanted to rule as such. But the world that he came back to, and somebody even said yesterday, uh, I was reading online, hey, Sup- Supreme number one, it says volume two. Yes, it purposely said volume two uh, on the cover and in the inside of Supreme Number One, which was launched in the summer of Image Comics, and again, I'm just putting these books out because these are the stories that I want to tell. Now, Supreme's biggest influence on Supreme was the work Alan Moore had done on another Echo character called Miracle Man. Over overseas in Britain, where Miracle Man was born, he was Marvel Man. He was an analog. He was a Echo, a an homage to Captain Marvel. 
which existed over here in the States, and you all know him as Shazam, Billy Batson and Shazam. Well, Alan Moore updated Marvel Man with this haunting story. And and not to kind of cover all of the greatness behind this, but the 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 bottom line with what what what, what we knew, what we came to know as Miracle Man, as Alan Moore had uh, had depicted him overseas, and then Eclipse, an independent comic book publisher, published him in 1985, and brought us these uh, British uh, amazing. British Adventures of, of Miracle Man, formerly Marvel Man, as written by Alan Moore, illustrated by Gary Leach, Alan Davis. Um, and uh, it was creepy and semi-terrifying, and it riveted the comic book world in so much as you don't even get to Watchmen. You don't get to Watchmen unless you are... Uh, unless you have encountered... Uh, Miracle Man, because Miracle Man absolutely 100% put Alan Moore on on the map, and uh, <clears throat> he also just like there's you know uh, Captain Marvel Junior. There was Kid Miracle Man, Kid slash Marvel Man. There were all manner of uh, of echoes of of the Shazam family in this in this version and. And again, uh, you know, in in the Alan Moore version, instead of Billy Batson, you have Michael Moran. And uh, Michael Moran has forgotten that he used to be this character. And uh, the, the thing that really entertained me is, uh, is that... In, 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 when Shazam says Shazam, he transform, transforms into... When Billy Batson says Shazam, he transforms into Captain Marvel. We all knew this, especially the kids of the 70s, because Shazam was a Saturday afternoon, Saturday morning TV show for three years, for three seasons. That's a lot. That's a lot to encounter. It gets into your head. You know the character, you know the, the supporting cast, you know the powers. And so in America, when we encountered this British version of Shazam and Captain Marvel, instead of Billy Batson, it's Michael Moran. And uh, Moran has forgotten he has lost memories about this character that he used to be instead of saying shazam if he says komoto which is atomic backwards he transforms into miracle man slash marvel man miracle man because over here you couldn't call him marvel man obviously so the american audience came to know this character as miracle man that's how he was marketed in brit in 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 england he was marvel man when he first appeared but again eclipse grabs these books reprints them gets new covers by some of the hottest american comic book artists and packages them, and it becomes the, you know, the buzz. And the main thing is, that creeped me out, is Michael Moran's wife doesn't really like him. She thinks he's a loser. He's a deadbeat. Uh, he's kind of an investigative uh, re freelance reporter. And when he remembers and says Komota and is transformed into Marvel Man, his wife, Liz, is way more attracted to Marvel Man than she is to Michael Moran. And they have... <clears throat> you know, sex and relations. And the creepy part is over this early rediscovery of himself. The wife wants nothing to do with the loser husband that she can't stand. She just wants to have sex and hang around with Miracle Man. And uh, as a kid, you know, I'm a teenager when I'm reading this and I'm like, I'm 17 years old reading Miracle Man number one and going, wow, this is an area 
of adult superheroes that I've never encountered before. This uh, idea that this guy who has forgotten that he was this powerful entity is now this powerful entity again, but it also sets off a train reaction and awakens his enemies. And, you know, again, you should read this. It's really adult and mature and fantastic. But his wife just really wants Marvel Man to get in, Miracle Man to get back into bed, you know, so that, that she can, you know, ha have relations with him. And that is creepy enough to, uh, to engage you and go, wow, we're, we're in an adult situation here. And again, when Kid Miracle Man is, is activated and Miracle Man and Kid Miracle Man finally have their giant throwdown, they demolish and destroy cities and people are killed. It's bloody, it's brutal, it's graphic. When I did Supreme, I wanted to have the same flavor with Superman. I wanted an unapologetically violent and graphic version of Superman, a guy who could, you know, bullets bounce off of him. He can, they're easy, got impenetrable, invulnerable skin, uh, immense superpower that he could throw a mountain at you. And in my early issues of Supreme, he burned people's faces off that opposed him. When there was a terrorist group in an airport in issue two, he literally just slaughters them. He slices through them with his hand. He cuts them in half. He drags their torsos across the room. Their, their bloody entrails are spilling out. I wanted to very much show you that this is not Superman. This is Supreme. And then in an interview on television, he proclaims himself to be a god. He basically says, I am better and higher than all of the rest of you. And eventually we delved into his origins. And ironically, Alan Moore himself would be drawn to this character and asked to come and do a run on uh, uh, Supreme when we got into the 40s, like the numbering of 40s, 41, 42. And he dramatically altered the, sh the, the, the book with my approval. He wanted to tell these kind of Silver Age stories. But there was an undercurrent to these Silver Age retellings that would put us into a dark place. It would just took longer to get there where Mar Marvel Man slash Miracle Man came out as dark from the jump. Well, you know, later on down the line, as a fan in the early 2000s, I picked up this book called Invincible. And Invincible immediately occurred to me that this is Robert Kirkman's take on the Superboy mythos. And Invincible has a father named Omni-Man, and Omni-Man is kind of a superman. He comes from a different planet, a, uh, an, an alien civilization. He's here on Earth. He's taken a wife. He's made a kid. And the big twist that Robert reveals is, if you've seen the Invincible cartoon, is revealed in the first episode because they took the gamble that they couldn't wait eight episodes, nine issues, as we did, to turn that and flip that on its heel and show you basically that Omni-Man is much more of a menace than then he is a hero and there's, um, you know, violence and really R-rated graphic uh, details and material that are engaged within the Invincible comic book once this sets off. And I could not have been more excited because, again, this is scratching and it's that I love. Kind of evil Superman. Been there, done that, occupied that territory, not in this way. Robert really brilliantly took you into this through, you know, Invincible, the young teenage boy, and and the 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 kind of really it was closer to Peter Parker with Superboy powers. I mean, Mark's struggles with being a teenager and girls and friends and uh, w w his grades, his time, and this dawn of these powers. And and now, do I have to be a regular kid? What does being a regular kid mean now that I have these powers? His character explanation, exploration, his character exploration on Invincible was amazing, fantastic. And Omni-Man portrayed as this caring, doting father early on until the big reveal where you're like, oh man, 
Mark needs to really be worried about his dad, and that set off this chain reaction that kind of really carried the rest of the sh- of the series, and certainly was what informed the mystery of the cartoon as we saw. The great thing that they did with the reveal in the Invincible cartoon that flipped the comic book was the comic book, for those of us who were diehards and showing up every month reading Invincible, the big twist just, I remember when I, walking out of the comic book store, reading it in the parking lot, in the car, with the air conditioning blasting, and going, what am I reading? Oh my gosh, this caught me off guard. This was a huge twist. Robert did it in Invincible, the first episode, but only we saw it. So now, even though there was a reveal, there was, when's everyone else going to figure it out? And in fact, there are people on his trail right now, so it became, had the, there, there was a procedural aspect to it that made it brilliant. Well, later on, so so we've already... Uh, Hyperion is Marvel's entry into this. One of them. One of their entries. Miracle Man is this mature version of Captain Marvel that gets us all kind of thinking, wow! And again, Watchmen is the mature version of the Charlton characters. We've covered that in a dedicated episode on the Watchmen and Alan Moore's transformative work and how his uh, it started out as a mature adult representation of the Charlton characters and then turned into something so much more with the Watchmen original characters, original characters based on those archetypes. But then Supreme happens and then, you know, you get uh you, you get your version, this this amazing invincible series that is so rich in character and consequence and motivation and characterization and action and brutal R rated graphic adventure. It's fantastic. Then we get the boys and you get Homelander and you get another version of Bad Superman. And that Superman is the one that you're getting in live action on Amazon going on now four seasons as they prepare to make four seasons. And there's no doubt in my mind how incredibly uh, resonant this is because, again, those of us who have done the evil Superman archetype in comic books know exactly how popular it resonates. Alan Moore's Supreme, this, this kind of return to this Boy Scout Silver Age Superman that he did, certainly had its fans and its acclaim, but there was an audience that was like, why can't you just bring back evil, violent Superman? I, I really liked him. And uh, the thing is that uh, Homelander definitely, uh, you know, hits a nerve. And when he acts out and shows exactly how uh, violent that he can become, uh, You know, I mean, it's 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 incredibly it's incredibly compelling, and uh, I know that that in the mid um, uh, uh, in the mid two thousands, we were uh, treated to Will Smith's uh, kind of version especially in its original script it was much more a what if superman was a uh complete you know drunk ill-tempered you know uh irresponsible slob and that is what he made as hancock and hancock was a giant success i thought it was fun to watch but it was definitely in this what if superman was an asshole could fly he had incredible amounts of strength and speed and i mean he was a superman analog a superman echo and i thought it was one of will smith's i i, I thoroughly enjoyed it. i think it's one of will's better one of his good films i mean i think he has great films and i really enjoyed hancock and uh 
and I liked all the explanation. And, and, and in that, it's kind of alluded to the fact that they're kind of the descendants of the gods, he and the Charlize Theron Superwoman kind of character. But, uh, you know, you got you got Marvel had Hyperion, Hyperion and, 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 you know, Alan Moore had evil Captain Marvel, which then inspired like Supreme. And then you've got Invincible. And now we've, we're talking about Homelander. And then there's Hancock. And then, you know, James Gunn along the way, he brought you Brightburn. A movie a few years ago, which was basically like, what if, you know, the baby that falls from the sky is innately terribly evil and people who saw Brightburn, Brightburn is definitely evil Superboy um, and is a fun exercise, a really fun, and it engages in the violence and the graphic stuff that I've told you that I I, I really enjoy. And then, in, in you know, so, so everybody seems eager to jump up into this space that Jerry Siegel, I'm sorry, uh, yes, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, you know, perfected it with Superman. And everyone wants to uh, kind of examine their version of this. It is it is quite possibly the most examined archetype ever. Siegel and Schuster, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, created this archetype for the ages. And there are nowhere near the amount of uh, Superman. You know, Batman was semi, you know, Influenced by the shadow and 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 uh, the phantom, Superman. Again, we've covered obviously the Edgar Rice Burroughs, the John Carter, but 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 also we need to cover uh, the gladiator of it all before I wrap up, because I can tell you that that of course there's there's Invincible and there's Supreme and there's Homelander and there's Hancock and there's Brightburn and we haven't even gotten to Mark Wade dipped his toe into this water with Irredeemable which is another evil Superman comes to suppress the world. And again, why do so many people have this archetype? Because it is so rich to explore. So much so, again, that, uh, that the origins the, the origins of Gladiator, uh, which Gladiator is a novel that was uh, uh, released, I believe... Uh, around, I'm, I'm going to say 1933. I'm, I'm taking a shot in the dark here, um, and going to take a uh, take a shot that that is where um, that where and when uh, the the Gladiator novel was published, and it was a book by. Uh, I'm looking at this very scorning face, Philip Wiley, okay? And uh, Philip Wiley uh, came on the scene with Gladiator. And look, in, in, the, in the short, in, in the long and the short of it, Wiley was another pulp writer, okay? Uh, Gladiator is a, uh, a character that begins with a scientist from Colorado, scientist from Colorado, who has a breakthrough... Uh, in regards to putting superpowers into lab animals, bestowing powers on lab animals. He becomes so curious that he successfully transfers this process, this formula into his son inside his wife's womb as she is pregnant with him. Once born, uh, Hugo, the, the boy, realizes that he has these incredible, incredible powers. He has super strength, and uh, which, which I mean, he, he is incredibly, incredibly powerful, super strength, super speed. Um, 
and and he is a tortured guy because all of his extra abilities in the gladiator novel make Hugo feel as if he is an outcast. And this Philip Wiley story about Hugo Danner, who had superhuman strength, speed, bulletproof skin, uh, predates Superman and is very much seen as a influence on what they eventually did. They invoke John Carter, which certainly existed, which was there in that space prior. Um, but then the gladiator can't also be dismissed because it 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 creates a, 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 another, you know, archetype that predates Superman of a character that has all these different powers. Now they're they didn't what what Hugo Danner doesn't have is the Clark Kent persona. But he does, uh, as he grows up, realizes that that he is uh, you know, he's featured it as a strong man in a sideshow and he uses his superpowers, you know, as a soldier, as a boxer, and yet da- Hugo is is tortured by his powers. He he believes it prevents him from having a normal life. That story takes a much dis- is kind of the first of the Superman stories to take a decidedly dark twist. Of which Siegel and Schuster decided we are going to make the Boy Scout the do-gooder, the guy that wants to help you out, the alien son who has landed on Earth and wants to serve us, which is an incredible trope. But so much of us, the rest of us, want to examine the uh, the kind of sinister side. And whether it was Omni-Man or Supreme or Hancock or Irredeemable or uh, the, the uh, Homelander, who is possibly the most vile, he certainly has a wonderful portrayal. There are all manner of evil Superman, dark Superman tropes uh, that have been... that I mean, if Superman is the tree... All of these others are the mini branches, and and boy, those branches are beginning to sp- beginning to spout leaves. I will revisit the dark, super powered character in a different way in my upcoming book that I have coming out. Uh, the first taste that you're going to get an original five page story in Brigade Number One arrives on September 28th, and it is called Airborne. H E I R Born B O R N E. Airborne, but it is not a Superman story. There is no heroes. It is the Targaryen family if they had superpowers instead of dragons. That is how I have um, kind of shaped it. It's the the history of their dominance on this planet, where they came from, where it goes from there. Uh, lineages, uh, heirs, obviously it's called Airborne, but uh, it it is what if a super, a royal family with superpowers asserted their control on Earth and put us under their rule now again there is no crime fighters in this so it is not a uh a a like a homelander who serves a super team that serves the greater good and has ties to other organizations it is not a hancock who is a fallen god who is you know um pathetically trying to serve mankind but does more harm than good it is not a benevolent um conqueror uh, an Omni-Man who can't believe that his son doesn't want to follow in his footsteps and, and in fact is going to oppose him and who has teamed with other uh, uh, super-powered individuals. Uh, it is not Supreme who was created in a lab who flew out to space and saw something that scared him so badly, a story I never got around to telling that he came back to Earth and realized, wait, science is caught up and there's tons of people like me. Okay? Um, 
there, there, there are other, 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 other characters in, in Megaton comics. There was Ultraman who had a daughter named Ultra Girl. And it's kind of like the Superman, Supergirl, uh, uh, relationship that, that, that a loosely kind of, uh, uh, what basically the kind of relationship that Robert would bite into much more deeply, uh, with Omni-Man and Invincible. Ultraman was not, uh, an alien who wanted to subjugate Earth, but Ultra Girl is his offspring, and it's like a father-daughter, you know, kind of, you know, mentor, uh, student-teacher relationship because she's got these powers just like he does, and it's always kind of that fretting how that father. It's a much more loving. It's it's, it's a Superman, Supergirl, you know, Superman, Superboy, more 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 familial. And and again, if we look at DC now, I mean, with the Super Sons and all the different expansions that they've done with Superman and Superboy, it is clearly an icon that they are incredibly invested in. So Superman and that trope is to me the most powerful of all the superhero tropes. And today it was just worth it to expand. And maybe you didn't know that Gladiator by Philip Wiley was an influence on Superman. Maybe you didn't know that Siegel and Schuster themselves would cite Edgar Rice Burroughs' work on John Carter as being the source for their version of Superman. And maybe you didn't know that it was because Jerry Siegel wanted a... uh, a, a, a meek, uh, mild-mannered, you know, alter ego that he modeled after himself because he was too shy to talk to the pretty girls but inside wanted to be that Superman that they would want to be with. You know, again, maybe you didn't know about Alan Moore's seminal Miracle Man work, which really set the stage for the mature superhero, the R-rated superhero, and the exploration of more kind of deviant uh, applications to superpowers. Great stuff. You don't get to Irredeemable without Alan Moore and Miracle Man, and you definitely don't get to Supreme. And along the along the way, that's what this show tries to do. I try to connect the dots. I try and take you and put all the breadcrumbs into the right order. And if I skip some characters, there's a lot of them. Again, Hyperion probably is the highest profile of the Superman, uh, you know, Echoes and there are people who are like, what if Marvel made a Squadron Supreme movie and what if it was bigger than Justice League? That what if is out there. That looms every day. I think about it and I wonder if why it hasn't happened is because the powers that be at Marvel don't want to. I mean, if Squadron Supreme came out and was a much larger success by portraying Hyperion and Nighthawk and Dr. Spectrum and Wizard and Golden Archer, if it was a much bigger success, which honestly, there's a good shot it would be, than Justice League. It would be kind of a curb stomp to Justice League. It would. I, I, I don't know that that, that that you can come back from that. Also, I don't think Marvel wants to maybe uh, put it out there in that large of a fashion that they partook in kind of this echo, you know, practice. Even though in the Bronze Age, it was a big deal. And look, it, influence always happens. There is no Superman without John Carter. There is no Batman without the Shadow. These... These, you know, each piece begats another piece, begats another piece. And that's why we love comic books. And that's why comic books are ruling the universe and are readily available on all your streaming devices. You can watch shows on your phone. It is a world that I just, I literally, you have to understand, I will still always pinch myself and go, I had to sit through two hours of a movie called Dragon Slayer, which I like very much because that dragon is excellent. But as a kid, I had to watch Dragon Slayer to get to a the level of special effect of the dragons on House of Dragon or Game of Thrones, which exceeds the dragons in Dragon Slayer and or Reign of Fire. 
but I get them in the first five minutes and I get more of them. I get much more of them. So we are living in a crazy world of excess, of state-of-the-art special effects and uh, depictions of these characters that I never could possibly have imagined would exist. But today was all about honoring Superman, his origins, his, his, his inspirations, and all of the characters and tropes that would follow. And we did that. We covered it. And so if for some reason you want to go and get Alan Moore's Miracle Man, again, Captain Marvel, but if you want to go and Google the, 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 the lawsuits that broke out between Captain Marvel and Superman, both of which were seen as being familiar to each other, that's a whole other show. That's a whole other. So Captain Marvel definitely, uh, especially in, in his early Shazam, the, the character you know as Shazam, in his earliest incarnation uh, was up against being accused of being another Superman trope. So this Alan Moore Miracle Man stuff is the richest of all this material. It is the darkest. It is the most disturbing. It is the creepiest. It is also some of the most powerful. Um, but all of these, all of these tropes are great. All of them are worth um, indulging in. And if you have and you want to go down this, the 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 kind of Superman echoes, the Superman tropes, there is a treasure trove of which to choose from. Some of which I have shared with you today. Uh, I, I I wish you all the best if that's the path you choose to take. And, and and I feel good that after X amount of episodes, we have given Superman some much-needed limelight. And, and it is well-deserved and, and honestly, well, well overdue. And there we have what we hope will be remembered as a super episode. A super episode where we learned super new facts of super proportions. Of course, as always, at the end of each show, I share the reviews that you share about this show with everyone. I read them at the end of every episode. You guys are so generous. You're out there uh, spreading the word about this podcast. And I'm going to tell you, again, as I as I learned at the shows and the and the stores that I go and I visit and I ask people when they tell me that they love the show, I say, why do you love the show? Why do you love... And, and they say, Rob, you are um, sharing so much knowledge and I'm learning so much that I didn't know. And I love that you re- you bring the receipts that you that you uh, read directly from materials and memos and and contracts and whatever I've shared over these last uh, couple of seasons. And I just appreciate that so much because it is, I, I feel like there is uh, uh, so, so much lost uh, to, to the sands of times if you don't have those, those, those magazines, those star logs, those amazing heroes, those comics journals, that, that there are interviews and insights to every... Uh, one of these really important creators that that expand our knowledge and our viewpoint and our perspective. And I love so much bringing them to you because you know that these are all my heroes uh, and, and, and folks that have elevated my awareness and have inspired me. So I really appreciate it. Today, I am reading to you from a very kind and generous uh, review. It's almost too kind and too generous, to be honest. It is... Uh, Amazing podcast by Guillermo Carlos 132. That's what it's called. It gives us five stars. Thank you. Amazing. It says amazing podcast. Hey, Raul, I want to give you two compliments from two of your last episodes. In the Jack Kirby episode, you are absolutely right. He is the greatest world builder ever in the history of comics. My first compliment is that you, Rob, are up there with Jack as far as world building goes. When you list out all the characters and worlds that you have built, X-Force, Youngblood, Prophet Evangeline, you are up there with the king with the sheer number of characters and worlds you have created. 
I have to tell you, reading this is really humbling, and and yet I just have to tell you, I I don't actually, um, I can't relate to that because I just feel like Jack is so. So I'm editorializing your comments while I read them. Forgive me. It's just too it's too great of a compliment. Jack is on his own. Uh, he's, he's on his own planet. He's on his own planet. He's, it's not his own mountain, but I appreciate very much you saying this. He says, also on your episode, Game Changers, you talk about one of the biggest game changers in your lifetime has been comic books coming into the mainstream. My second, second compliment to you is that you and the other image founders are a huge part of that. What you and the other image founders did in the nineties, the buzz, the hype that you created are the reason comic books went into the mainstream. I know you would not give yourself credit to this, but I just want to state the facts. Keep up the great work. Love the podcast. Bill, a.k.a. Stockbroker Bill, a.k.a. And Bill, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this how you said it, and then I'm going to read it how you want it to be said. It says, a.k.a. Stockbroker Bill, and then a.k.a. Let the Bronco Buck, which means, which is code for, let the Bronco Buck. And longtime listeners will absolutely understand what you just heard. Uh, those who don't, uh, maybe maybe go back and, and, and absorb the catalog and you'll get there. Guillermo Carlos132, also known as Bill, wrote this very generous review. Thank you so much. When you guys leave reviews on our platforms, uh, I will share them and read them and call you out at the end of every episode. Thank you so much uh, for giving us five stars, for giving us these amazing reviews, and most importantly, sharing it with your friends and your comic store. Maybe your store started playing the show. I appreciate you. I appreciate the store. I appreciate the word of mouth. Thank you guys so much. At the end of every episode, I tell you that you can catch me on social media. On Twitter, I am at Robert Liefeld. The whole name, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Robert Liefeld. Blue check. It's really me. I like... Love talking to you guys, the mentions, the the back and forth, uh, the sharing of ideas, concepts, you know, inspirations, answering your questions when I can. Thank you so you thank you guys. Thank you all of you for reaching out with me on Twitter at Robert Liefeld. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. I got there early. I got to get at Rob Liefeld. That also has a blue check. I love reading your comments, your mentions, your DMs, all of the ways that you reach out and communicate with me. I see them all. I try and respond to all of them. And I just thank you so much for all the effort you put into um, talking to me on social media through both Twitter at Robert Liefeld and Instagram at Rob Liefeld. This uh, podcast has a page, Observations with Rob Liefeld on Facebook. Uh, it has a Facebook page, a dedicated Facebook page. Give it a like, give it a comment. I'll find it. I'll find you. I will like it. I will. You will hear back from me. Uh, more importantly, I have a group, Rob Liefeld. An extreme group. That's the entire name of the group. Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group. It's on Facebook. Facebook is a great place for clubs and groups, and that's really what kind of saved the platform for me. Is all the different clubs and the groups that I'm I'm part of, and I have a club slash group. Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group. Join it. Either myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala S A L A will um will click you in. We will be the administrators that give you the um the that gets you through the, the the golden gates and into the group so that's how you know you're at the right place myself or terry it's rob Liefel and extreme group we talk about all things comic books all things that i've worked on my career and not only that uh if i've worked on the fantasy four which i have or the avengers which i have or captain america they're all up for grabs join us there join the conversation we are having such a great time twice a week i am on whatnot it is an amazing new app whatnot look for it in the apple store or wherever you get your apps whatnot. It's a 
killer uh it's ebay for the 21st century it is a comics collectibles app where all manner of sellers are 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 sharing toys and uh funko pops and and comic books and on my shows i share with you guys signed comics uh signed funko pops signed action figures toys and uh sketch art and and I, I i have great conversations i love talking to you guys we jam up that room we get hundreds and hundreds of people on our episodes talking to us the entire time there's an ongoing dialogue that goes on for um quite some time i'm i'm actually even a little more unfiltered there than i am here so uh people say that they think it's an extension of this podcast you find out for yourself get the whatnot app jump on whatnot follow rob liefeld join me there it is always good for you to feed your soul we are all about feeding your soul here at rob observations your spiritual health your mental health your emotional health your physical health they matter and after you've you know maybe taken that walk addressing the physical health and ridden that bike gone to the gym um especially a couple times a week uh, read a book read a comic watch a great show The, the, the stuff that's coming out like i said earlier the fact that you can get the level of special effects and dragons in sorcery shows and in these fantasy shows like uh, like like Power of the Ring and and House of Dragon uh, is is just mind blowing to me. I've never seen anything even remotely like some of. The, I mean, the way these dragons look are fantastic. You guys, come on! It's 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 just and it's it's on your TV. You, you don't have to leave the house. It's there. And and the aforementioned Invincible cartoon, the the boys, uh, all the Marvel stuff on Disney Plus, the DC stuff on HBO Max. There's so much great stuff to consume, and maybe even some more new stuff, sci-fi shows, adventure shows, whatever it is. My, I am a huge proponent for just settling yourself and letting your mind just absorb fun, cool material, whether it's sci-fi, superheroes, fantasy, whatever. Feed that soul, feed that aspect of you. Um, you need it to. This has been a crazy couple of years. And we just need to eventually just kind of kick back, get back on that recliner, chill out and absorb all the good stuff that's out there and expand ourselves. Be inspired, again, with that comic book you're going to read or that book. And tell me about it. Tell me about it. Share it with me. Share it with me what you're reading, what you're, what, what, what you're, what's inspiring you. You guys, please come back. I'll be here for another episode. Swing by the cul-de-sac. I'll be waiting, mic in hand, and we most certainly, absolutely will talk again real soon. Thank <laughs> you.